Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to all of our listeners, especially the new ones who might not know what this podcast is all about. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we like to use this space and this time to talk about some of the new cars that we've been driving, some of the news that's been going on, and we answer some reader questions as well. So Ben, why don't you take it away with a very interesting car that you got to drive in a very unique location? Well, I also just want to point out that podcasting is a lot cheaper than therapy. Yes, it's, this is also our form of therapy. So uh, I, I went to Chile, Sammy. Uh, which I'd never been to before. I'd actually never been to South America before. And um, I went because Audi brought people from all over the world. Um, there were Australians, Europeans, Americans, Canadians, everyone. Someone from New Zealand was there. And just one guy? Just Well, it's a, not a very big country, Sammy. So they typically, you know, they have to keep someone in New Zealand to keep things going when, when the other person in New Zealand's away. To go and test that new to Audi. To go and test the new Audi. <laughs> and in this case, it was the Audi Q8. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what, is the Q, what is the Q8? Isn't that, another, isn't that another country? No, no, no. Wow. Wow. Kuwait what? jokes? Really? <laughs> okay, here we um, go. The Q8 is something... Oh, it's a Q7 and then one. Yes, exactly. But no. So what, what? they were doing is... This is actually kind of funny. So... Um, everyone's familiar with the general disdain that I have and Sammy has for large SUV coupes. Those are the kind of rounded roof, not as practical, not as useful, but mostly, I mean, especially the full-size ones, really big SUVs that are, they're, they're, they're style-first SUVs. So it turns out that I'm not the only person who's not super into that styling idea. Uh, Audi itself had no real interest in building a competitor to the X6, BMW's um, uh, SUV coupe, when it came out, I, I think, what, 2012, 2011, something like that. Now, a, a number of years ago. Long enough that it's had two generations now. Yeah. Because the designers, and uh, we, I spoke to um, the uh, Frank Lamberti, who's the, the head of exterior design at, at Audi, and he said, look... There's no point in us just drawing another curved roof SUV. I mean, why are we going to do something that's been done not just by BMW, but by Mercedes-Benz a couple of times? We're not bringing anything new to the conversation. And they initially just kind of ignored the X6. And then they saw people were buying them. And uh, the board was like, you know what, we'd like to kind of get into this space. And Lamberty was, you know, he wasn't resistant, but he said, if we do it, it's got to be different. We can't just do another curved roof SUV. We can't have an, a Q7 with a curved roof. It's not going to work. So what they ended up doing was the Q8. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of uh, kind of happy accidents that occurred along the way, if you think about it, because there's another vehicle that came out from Volkswagen uh, just last year that is mm -hmm. kind of almost exactly the same size as the Q8 and shares the same platform. What would that be, Sammy? Uh, the new Tiguan. <laughs> no. Not take one. Sorry, Touareg. No, 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 not the not the Touareg. I'm talking about the Lamborghini Urus. Oh, what are we talking? Yeah, the ben the Bentayga. Yeah, and then the Bentayga, but not. I don't think the Bentayga really fits in here. I think the Bentayga is more of a traditional SUV, as as much as it pains me to say that. But I think the Urus has kind of the same general mission as the Q8, which is to be sporty Whoa. looking, but also be rugged looking. It's on the it's MLB platform. So you're telling me that this Q8 and I was I, I didn't even think about the the Urus. These two things are are related. They are they're very related. Well, I mean wow. they share the same platform. They're not exactly the same size, but they're close. We're talking a few inches in length. Okay, and, uh, I hope that width. doesn't sound I hope that doesn't sound non-genuine. I'm actually surprised that these two cars share um, so much in common. Well, if or you some, think some things in common, yeah. And and if you think about it, there's going to be an RS version of the Q8, and it's probably going to be very Urus-like. Like, okay. it's going to have, I don't know if it's going to have a V10 or whatever the Urus has. I assume the Urus has a V10. But, no, it's um, V8. It's a twin-turbo V8. It's a twin-turbo V8. That's, that makes even more sense. If, if, if for, But I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, talk to me about this Q8. Yeah, I'm talking about the Q8. So they basically, they took the they took the Q7 platform, and which is also the platform for the Urus, and they're like... And the, Ca and the Cayenne, right? I It might be. I'm not sure. But uh, they're like, look, let's see what we can do and still stay Audi. Let, let, let's not just make another curved roof. So they took... What they what they ended up doing was there's a lot of if you look at the Q8 from the front you're basically looking at an A8 
It has that big single frame grill, the new kind of grill surround that they're using. It looks pretty different from the Q7 from the front. It's it's mm-hmm. huge. You can have different colored surrounds. Um, but it's it's very much like the full-size sedan. And then they took the roof, and instead of curving it, they chopped it. And it's kind of angled down at the back. It's almost a straight line, and they have a huge C-pillar at the back that kind of rises up and meets it. So you end up with this something that doesn't look anything at all like an X6. In fact, no. I, I had someone tell me it looked more like a Q3 than anything else. Yeah, I, th- I see that more than the than an X6, that's for sure. But you're right, it does have that massive pillar in the back, which... Um... I don't know. That doesn't seem very modern to me, that look. That well, it's, I but I will it, admit, unlike the Urus, which puts that rear door handle like on the rear fender, Yeah. this doesn't have that. So it looks more traditional in that sense. Yeah, and it also has what, what Audi calls their Quattro blisters, which is like basically... I'm sorry, fender. what? Yeah, don't see a doctor. It's actually just code for fender flares. Um, but they wanted to accentuate the fact that you know this is a, an all-wheel drive vehicle. And it's 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 sporty and rugged. So it's, it, unlike the Q7, this has kind of like a pushed out track. It's wider than the Q7 by a few inches as well. Actually, I can tell you exactly how much wider because it's a it, it's 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 worth noting. So it's 1.1 inches wider and it's mm-hmm. 2.16 inches, <laughs> 2.6 inches shorter than the Q7 overall. I'm, I'm but it has the same this. but it has the same wheelbase, Sammy, which means inside it's just as big. Okay, I'm looking at this vehicle now. Um, on one of your articles that are published to autotrader.ca, and uh, I know you have another article somewhere out there too. Where is that one put? That's what New published? York Daily News. New York Daily News. Um, I'm having a tough time deciding whether I think this is an attractive vehicle or not. I don't well, know if if you feel the same way. If you can say definitively this is a prettier car than say the X6 or the GLE Coupe, um, but think- there's some interesting design elements that are not quite meshing with me, like that weird black part underneath the um, the front headlights. There's like a little mascara going on or something like that, and that weirds me out a little bit. Um, and the grill, the way that the the lights kind of like hover over top of the grill is another interesting design cue that I'm not used to seeing with Q, with Audi and a new design language from them. They Typically, they have a very static design language. Everything looks just like a bigger version of the last thing. And I think the Q8 did not follow in the footsteps of the other Qs that have come before it. So I think this is a very interesting time for, for Audi vehicles. Well, you know, um, I I think that being prettier than the X6 is a very low bar to clear, <laughs> because that is not an elegant vehicle. I, yeah, I think somehow everyone everyone wanted to get one. Or yeah, well, that market, not right? everyone. I mean, they they've sold a quarter million since it came out, and it's that's like twenty five thousand a year, I think, which I guess is good for a niche vehicle, mm-hmm. and probably very good numbers for BMW. But it's not like it's not like you see them on every corner. I think the Q8 as a as a cohesive design is just night more more. It's just more appealing to the eye. It, okay. it doesn't challenge the eye as much as the X6 does. The X6 asks you to make some. It asks you to be okay with some weird stuff. <laughs> like, this is very much an it Audi. Asks you to have a safe word, eh? Yeah, this this so, is very much an Audi. So it, yeah. you're okay with that. Um, okay. So in I'm into of, it. Okay, fine. In terms of how it drives, I mean, mm-hmm. it drives like you would expect an SUV of its size. It's basically, it's mm. two tons. Uh, it has a turbocharged three liter V6. Yep. Uh, I've seen this recently in uh, the A6 A- and A7, and I think maybe in the A8 as well. Yeah, it's a exactly similar the same. powertrain to all those, right? It's exactly the same. And so, it has that mild hybrid, or however they want to tell it, call it, a, a 48 volt electrical system? Yeah, 48 volt electrical system. Cool. And it's, so you're looking at 340 horsepower and 369 pound-feet of torque. It's got decent room inside. It's like 15% less cargo space than the Q7 because it's shorter. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the second row, you're not going to notice any loss of leg room or anything like that. And it doesn't feel cramped inside. Like, you don't have to duck down when you're getting in. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a successful vehicle in terms of execution. It does everything you would expect it to do. It's got the dual screen version of MMI. Yep. Which uh, gets rid of the gets rid of the rotary knob, no more rotary knob. And, and you know what's weird about the, the the screen? I noticed the bottom screen where you you make things selections for like climate control and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You can't just touch it. You have to actually push, like you're pushing. Yeah, the button. it's very it's very uh, it needs more of uh, force to it. That's for yeah. sure. So what ended up happening was I it kept feeling like it was being unresponsive, but it was mm-hmm. really it was really me who was not using it properly. But at the same time, it was kind of annoying. The other thing is you can't use it with gloves. So in the wintertime, when you want to turn on the, the heated seats, you're going to have to take off your gloves to do that. And if it's cold enough for heated seats, it's war- it's cold enough for gloves. So that's kind of annoying. I just want a button for heated seats. I, I realize I say that all the time. But, man, uh, yeah, it's it's never not true. <laughs> Interesting. 
Uh, tell me a little bit more about this. Does it ha- like so? I mean, it, with the Ace, with the X6, um, and the GLE Coupe, um, especially with those M versions of the cars, uh, M and AMG versions of the car, they're a bit sportier and fun to drive. Oh, they're uh, not. Or fun maybe to they're drive. sorry, stiffer and more. They try to be more responsive. Does the Q8 offer any of that from the get-go, or is it meant to be a very cushy, soft vehicle? It's got like stuff like I don't know. Air suspension. It or... does have air suspension. Oh, it and does. It's, it's meant to be cushy and soft. I mean, it has a sport mode, and we used it a lot because in in we were in the Atacama Desert, which is the driest mm-hmm. place on Earth. It gets less precipitation than the poles, and it also happens to be um, seven thousand five hundred feet up in the air at its lowest point. So okay. Yeah. So the car we kept it in sport mode for the most part. Uh, to try and keep the transmission and, and the throttle response as, as responsive as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we did a bit of off-roading, too, with the vehicle. I mean, it, it was fine with that. It, it has decent ground clearance. You can get uh, about 10 inches of ground clearance, which is actually two and a half more than you get in, like, a Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, with just a standard um, nice. suspension. So if you yeah. wanted to go off-road, you can. We didn't do anything hardcore. It was mostly dunes and whatnot because we're, we're out in the desert. and just, we, we climbed up to 12,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truck was fine. Um, <laughs> How did it feel up at that at that kind it of? It felt altitude? okay. It felt How do you okay. feel at that? Altitude? I was almost dying. Like really, every, twelve thousand feet is. First of all, I'm getting old, and twelve thousand yeah. feet is. I like how you just casually like, yeah, yeah. Ben's good. Everyone knows that Ben's good. No, 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 no. I I wanted to ask. Like, I mean, I think if you're just sitting, if you're sitting still, yeah, sure. But if you're taking photos at that at that um, altitude, typically, like, I don't know if you're like me, you kind of want to get your photos done in a hurry, so you end up kind of like like. No, I'm uh, professional, and I take my time. Rushing yourself. Well, I sometimes I rush myself, and I know, like, running back and forth to the car, I, I can imagine running at a breath real quick. You're going to get a cramp if you're <laughs> rushing yourself. But no, what, 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 it, for me, it's stairs. It's like going up and down stairs is the yeah. worst at those elevations. It, it really makes you question your mortality because you're out of breath at going up, like, five steps, and you're like, what, 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 what's going on in my life? Like, what choices am I making that have brought me to this point? I'll, I'll then, admit that. Sorry, I just want to get back to you here on this uh, on this altitude thing. Uh, myself and another journalist, his name is Mike Schley, who now works for Subaru. Um, we competed in something called the Mazda Adventure Rally, and um, one of the challenges in this rally was to find the highest altitude we could we could drive to um, while we were, I think, in color in Colorado. And I remember we had to get a, some photo evidence of it, and I remember running out and uh, and trying to take that photo and i remember turning around with my camera looking at the car and then just getting really dizzy and i was just like holy cow it, it like that altitude can really affect you in some uh, unexpected ways when you just don't you just didn't you just push your body at this um this climate it's very interesting i found that the more than the altitude the thing that affected me the most was just how dry it was it was actually oh too, yeah it was too dry for me to uh wear my contact lenses oh my god I, it wasn't even possible which was kind of crazy i had never <laughs> experienced anything like that before um the, there's also some other weird stuff that i noticed uh when we were driving we flew into a place called kalama and uh, it, it's about um, 70 miles from where we were staying in a town called San Pedro de Atacama. And on the drive, it's an hour and a half or so, there were these, I guess, shrines that were on the side of the road. And you know how, like, when people die on the highway and they put, like, a cross and flowers mm-hmm. and stuff? Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if that's what this was because some of them were, like, little houses. Legit little houses that you could go inside of. And they're not bus stops or anything because no one lives here. Like, there is nothing. It's it's literally nothing. That Some of the – the Atacama is so barren that NASA actually uses it to simulate the surface of Mars because they have a similar makeup in terms oh of life gosh. forms and, like, yeah. Anyway, so there were all okay, these – Okay, let's get back. Yeah. There were all these shrines, and then yeah. the creepiest shrine that I saw was there was this mound of gravel, and on top of the mound of gravel was this pink child scooter being oh, held no. onto the mound by a rock. And what? I don't know what that was for. And like we are honestly 50 miles from the nearest habitation. Oh my gosh, that's weird. Yeah, that's ch- um, hashtag, hashtag chilly, I guess. Yeah. Okay, but like to take into consideration the the effects the altitude has on uh, on a person, these impacts also affect uh, an engine. An engine is is gasping. It needs air to to work, and when the air is thin. Um, it will impact uh, the performance of the vehicle. So this turbocharged engine should help with that. But uh, yeah. did you know, do, what do you think of that engine? It's pretty solid, pretty smooth, it's fine. right? I had no issues with it. I mean, it mm-hmm. gave me enough power. We were able to pass when we needed to. 
Um, and, and I was hoping you would tell me a little bit more on whether or not the Q8 adapts some of the technology that's found in the A8, which is some really impressive nearly level three um, autonomous driving capability. Th- there, well. are th- there are 37 driver safety systems in the vehicle. Holy moly. Okay. And I will not enumerate what they are. We did did really, any surprise you or like uh, impress you? I didn't really use any of them because I preferred to drive myself when I'm in the middle the of the car. Is that much fun. There's no traffic or anything. I mean, oh, it's not yeah. like <laughs> it's, there's just it's it's like you know you know like in Star Wars or Return of the Jedi when he goes into that cave and he asks Spoiler Yoda. Alert. Spoiler alert, guys. He asks Yoda like, "What's in the movie. cave?" And Yoda's like, "Only what you bring with you." And it's like that in the Atacama <laughs> Desert. It's like only the only thing you're going to find out there is whatever you brought with you in your Q8. Okay. Um, then there was one feature then in the A8 that I think would be pretty neat from, in something like the Q8. It was, a, um, it was combined with the air suspension. It could read the road ahead, tell you where there's a pothole or a speed bump, and can pre-adjust um, the suspension for that uh, road condition. Did you notice anything like that? Or did Audi mention that such a feature is coming to the queue? I do not recall a discussion okay. of that feature. All right. Well, I that hope doesn't that mean that it's not the there, yeah. but it, it wasn't highlighted. I hope that that's on the way for a QA because I can imagine that being a really cool feature for something like this. What else? Is it expensive? I don't know. There's no pricing yet. I mean, the Q7 is 61000 in Canada. and it's a I think, good, I, In my opinion, sixty one grand for a Q7 is good value. I don't and know. It's like low low 50s in the U.S., I believe, something like that. Uh, so you're probably looking at in the U.S. mid-60,000, I would say. Okay. Um, and you're going to get more powerful versions. There's going to be that twin-turbo V8 version eventually. It just makes sense. There's no reason not to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that the base model will be super expensive. So it's like at that... It, when that RS version comes, it's going to be a budget Yoris uh, or Bentayga because those two vehicles are going to be like 300 grand. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, if if you do, you view the R8 as a budget Huracan. I think some people do, and I think um, there's definitely a, an, an argument to be had there that it has the same technology, engine, and transmission and platform as a Huracan. So it just depends on what you what you think a Lamborghini. Or Bentley really is. If it's about style, then obviously not. You won't find this car to, to be comparable at all. But if it's about the performance, these things are, are very close. Yeah, I would think that I, I would think performance-wise, they'll be very close. I mean, I think they might hobble the RS somewhat, but mm-hmm. other than that, I, I think they'll be. I mean, and the other thing too is high-performance SUVs. I mean, what do you yeah, really what do you really get? It's just like straight-line speed, right? Like. I've been on the track in many of these vehicles, and they're super competent. They're not fun at all. Like I don't think it's about being on the track. It's about having something that 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 earns respect on the road just by virtue of a badge and a noise um, that it has. You know what well, I mean? All right. Well, I mean, if that were true, then it wouldn't have to be fast. It could just be, <laughs> you know, like you could have With like a, a sweet diesel. exhaust. <laughs> you could have a sweet diesel exhaust Q8. <laughs> Well, there were two. There were two diesel models um, on the event. I didn't drive them because guess what? We're not getting them, and it, it didn't really make sense to do that. Uh, but Europe and the other other markets are getting two diesel models in addition well, to the gas model. That's a really interesting car, and I can't wait to see them on the road because I want to see in person just how effective the new styling language for Audi is. Uh, I think they're going to do well with it. I think they're definitely going to sell these vehicles. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a good competitor to the X6 because I don't buy into the fact that it has to be super fast. I, I think, like mm-hmm. you said, um, you could, you know, personality goes a long way, and I think people. People who already own Audis but were maybe thinking about a big SUV but don't necessarily want a three-row like the Q7, I mean, the Q8 gives them an option to go large and stay in the Audi family. Does it have personality, this car? And how would you describe that person? Is it in the in the materials? Um, the personality is, it, is in the styling. It's, in the that's, styling. That's the only place you'll really find it. I mean, drive-wise, it's very competent, but it doesn't mm-hmm. stand out as something you would tell your friends about. Um, it, it, it does what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's 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 all going to be styling, and it does look much you know more buff than a Q7. A Q7 is is yeah, more... it looks a little meek to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and and the Q8 stands out in comparison, especially from the rear three quarter and and when seen head on. Those are the two places you really notice it. Nice. Um, okay, I also drove a very big vehicle, a little bit bigger than that uh, Q8, I think. Bigger than uh, the Q8. Yeah, I drove Subaru's biggest model. Yet. Uh, this is the Subaru Ascent, a brand new nameplate for the brand. 
Um, and it's their second a- attempt, I think, into a three-row vehicle that they've ever that they've ever attempted or tried. What was what was the first one, Sammy? What it was, was a car called? called the the Tribeca. It went through, I believe, two generations um, of. I don't think it went through two generations. Success. I think they just changed the name. <laughs> it went from Tribeca to the B9 Tribeca. Um, and um, I'll just do a really quick recap of the Tribeca. It was not a very pretty vehicle. In fact. I think the best way to describe it would be ugly. Um, it was it, it was very expensive. It was Subaru's attempt to make into showing um, that they can compete with uh, luxury, maybe premium marks. Uh, it was also, despite how big it was, not very spacious. Yeah, that was kind of one of the weirdest parts of it. You know, they're so rare that when I see one on the road today, it's an event. Like I celebrate <laughs> in my car when one goes by. I'm like, and I and then I try to concoct an entire life story about the person who owns it. Like, what yeah, brought them to the they, point? And what yeah. other quirky Subarus did they have in the past? Did they have the Brat? Did they have the Baja? Did they have like the SVX? They're like, like I need to get this Tribeca to complete. Tribeca I, owners are the most individualistic own. They, they're like definitely not following the the herd They're, these are yeah. the kind of people maybe they owned an aztec maybe they owned a, uh, a baja like you said it's it's yeah. just it, it, they chose that because they wanted it or because it was cheap those are the two <laughs> those are the two reasons you own a tribeca well honestly from the get-go the, the msrp of this of this um tribeca was quite high and people well, no, i'm not talking about like, from the oh, get-go they, they got it like uh used in the used yeah, yeah 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 they got it from someone who really wanted to get rid of it is what but, i'm saying well, let's stop talking about a car that's uh, a couple of years old and start talking about this brand new one now stylish style wise this is not to me this is not the most attractive vehicle you can you can see it is um very similar to a, a forester um in terms of design it looks like a giant forester if you if they had called it the forester xl i think that would have been a pretty fine name for it i think forester xl is kind of a badass name i would, <laughs> yeah maybe they're saving that for a three-row forester but that would just in, 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 impede on this car's uh territory but I, um, I i see a lot of other suv design in this ascent like no question this is there's and, and, very much a, a a highlander design in the front end i think there's uh, almost some explorer elements there's some yep. sorrento elements i yep. mean this there's even some equinox a little bit the older equinox it, it's just or traverse sorry i mean to say it, it when you get to a certain size in crossovers they all they, end up looking the same right? they're all they're all you're you're just happy it's not a blob like that's <laughs> yeah. that's the best you can do because it's it, it's a form function over form vehicle but it's a it's an all new vehicle. It uses the it's a it's a platform called the Global Platform. It's underpin it underpins the Impreza, the Crosstrek, and the upcoming Forester, which will which should, we should see by the um, on the road by the end of the year. Um, and it's as as iterative as iterative as the design is. It actually has some really clever design inside, um, specifically in terms of space and usability. Now, what Subaru will tell you is that it it boasts. 19 cup holders in it and indeed there are so many cup holders in it but there's other elements in it there's eight usb ports there's a 120 volt um charger there's even secret storage areas um under the 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 floor of the trunk um there's also the way the roof racks are designed they have special tie down areas for your for your straps there's also a way to reach the roof very easily using two steps that are that are that are there when you open the rear doors. The rear doors also open so much. They're, they're I think, a 75-degree opening. Um, so they're kind of like Falcon doors, but, like, to the side. <laughs> yeah, they're huge. Um, and then there's other elements of the car that I think are, are just equally impressive. Like, actually, looking at that huge rear door, that entire window goes all the way into the door. There's no, um, there's none of that, you know, when the window sticks out. There's none of that, which I think is kind of interesting. Kind of talk to me about talk to me about pet storage. Where can I where can I hide my dogs? My hundreds and hundreds and your hundreds, hundreds of, dogs? of dogs. You could probably fit. I know you like um, small dogs. There's a total of 86.5 feet of storage for all of your chihuahuas and your corgis and all of your. Oh my goodness! You can put a chihuahua in a cup holder. You don't need a. <laughs> you can. They're like pint-sized dogs. You you don't you don't need a. 80, would you say 86 cubic feet? 86 cubic feet uh, in, in total when all the rear seats are folded down. Okay. Um, so you could put like a Great Dane back there is what you're saying. Oh, for sure. No problem. How um, many Great Danes? I would say two. <laughs> Maybe That's three. That's not a lot. I, I mean, think so. 
I was about to be impressed, and then you're like, yeah, pair, I guess. Well, I mean, they need to be they need to be comfortable. They need to have, you know, space for activity. But we both know that Great Danes are not kids, and you can definitely put kids in the third row of this, but not Great Danes. How many people. kids could you put in it with all three rows folded? <laughs> like, if you were stacking kids, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Cordwood, uh-huh. if, you, if, if you're like, kids, we gotta go, everyone get in, and it's like a kindergarten class. Now, are they, they all... Are they sitting on each other? Are they lying on top of each other? Like you can stack It's like them? Jenga. It's like Jenga. But, they're they're but like with kids. They're, they're well. They've got good core strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's 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 seven <laughs> inches longer than an outback. <laughs> I love that you just. Yeah, it's huge, man. It's really big, um, and it's also impressive because it starts at a pretty low price, around thirty three thousand dollars, and it comes with only one engine, and the engine is is all new and pretty impressive. It's a two point four liter four-cylinder boxer engine that makes um did i say it was turbocharged it's turbocharged is it turbocharged it's definitely turbocharged it makes 260 horsepower and 277 pound-feet of torque and it feels really good so they're walking away from the ej series of motors right they're they're like you Mm -hmm. know what we have a two and a half liter in the sti but womp womp we had some issues with it 2.5 has not been not seen uh i've seen better days yeah, it's not a fuel mileage engine either, and it, it, it has a few issues, so I can understand them wanting to. It makes me curious as to whether this motor is going to end up in the WRX. So I was told that this has some um, lineage to the FA20 um, or the FA line of engines that are found in the the Impreza and probably the WRX, which is also in what's there. In your, what's in your BRZ? That's, that's an FA20 as well, That's but that has direct in, uh, direct import uh, injection. And this one doesn't? I believe that's the case, yeah. That's a Toyota-specific um, injection system. I guess so. That's true. Um, okay, what else do you want to know about this? Um, I want to know everything. I mean, I'm excited. Ascent? I mean, what? I'm assuming it drives like every other crossover of its size. Like, it's, it's comfortable a, and... Yeah, I was expecting it... I think Subaru has done a really good job with their their dynamics in terms of how cars feel. They blend... Um, agility and smoothness in one really good package. What is this? An agile vehicle? I would like, no. I won't say that. I will say that it's responsive in the way that when you turn the steering wheel, you don't get that ginormous feeling of weight shift, weight like in one direction or the other. So it doesn't feel as as sloppy as some other um, three row crossovers out there. So, where did you where did you drive it to t- to test that out? Like, what kind of a road were you on? We were on. We went to all the way to Nova Scotia to Cape Breton. And we drove on what's known as the Cabot Trail, which is a very famous um, and very good driving road in Cape it Breton. Ri- it rings around the whole – so for people who aren't familiar, Cape Breton is an island. Yeah. And I believe the Cabot Trail goes all the way around the periphery of the island? Pretty much, yes. And it's a it's a huge – it's about 300 kilometers um, all around. And Did you it, drive the whole thing? We didn't drive the whole thing because we were trying to shoot a video – um, a video review of the vehicle, and that will be published um, probably by the uh, maybe after the weekend. This is uh, this podcast is published. So you're saying other more thorough journalists might have driven the whole thing? Yes. Okay. Just just being clear. I also want to point out that uh, Cape Breton has the world's um, largest concentration of Gaelic speakers, native Gaelic speakers. Yeah, uh, they they speak um, a Scottish Gaelic while. Some other spots will will have a more Irish-related um, Gaelic, which is pretty you know, interesting as well. My great-grandfather was fluent in Gaelic. Did you know that? That's very cool. My uh, my fiance, she speaks um, Irish um, as well, so she recognized a few words, but not all of them, which is very interesting. I want to tell you actually a little bit more about that Cabot Trail. It's named after a guy named John Cabot, who was what a, you don't say, who was who was actually named Giovanni Caboto or something like that. And it was whoa, an Italian whoa. guy who was sent by, by I think, King uh, Edward to go and find a new land. Now, he landed in Newfoundland, which I think is funny, another province of, of Canada, a bit further north. But uh, the Cabot Trail is, is all around Cape Breton in Nova so he Scotia. Never went to Ca- he never went to Cape Breton? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not sure. Wow. <laughs> we also there's another interesting la- uh, element of the landscape there. I know we're getting a little off base here with the with the um, ascent, but I promise I'll bring it back to the ascent. Unnamed Cape Breton podcast. <laughs> uh, we we saw a, a small inland lake. It was called. Um, it's French, so pre- please excuse my pronunciation, but I believe it's called um, Bras Bras d'Or or Bras d'Or. Yes. Bras d'Or. 
Brador. And uh, it's a very interesting lake because it is, it, how do I describe it? It has both freshwater and seawater in it. And it has, is a pretty much a tidal lake as well, which is pretty interesting too. Okay. It was cool. We actually went on a little boat ride over there. We had a fiddler on the boat. And as well, a bald eagle came and joined us and we fed it some chicken. We threw it into the water and it dove into the water. Well, not dove. It swooped into the water. You shouldn't teach bald eagles to eat human chicken. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's not... And by human chicken, I don't mean like human-chicken hybrid. I mean like chicken prepared, prepared, prepared from the human. grocery store. <laughs> okay, let's... Well, I mean, I would... If, we, if, if human-chicken hybrids become a thing, I'm all for bald eagles as our first line of defense mm -hmm. and teaching them to take those out, but... Uh, until that happens. Let's get back to that engine, though. You're, we were talking about the 2.4-liter turbocharged 4. Uh, it feels really good, really powerful. It's surprisingly good. And um, it will make you forget about all the other naturally aspirated V6s that are available in this segment. All of them? They just forget about them yeah, like, forget instantly? Them. These are – this is better than – uh, pretty much all of them, even though it does not have the the figures to make to keep compete with some of these 300 horsepower engines that you'd see out there. It feels fantastic. And um, I assume all-wheel drive is standard, right? Because it's a Subaru. Yeah, all-wheel drive is is standard. Uh, the only thing that that you'll want, you'll get more power and more you know just general oomph from will be the twin turbo V6 that's found in the Ford Explorer or the Ford Flex, um, or maybe the V8 that's available in the Durango. Uh, yeah. But those ones are really thirsty engines, and this car. Gets a combined uh, 23 miles per gallon combined. It can get up to 27 miles per gallon on the, on the highway, which I think is pretty decent. I guess it's not bad. I mean, <laughs> and I, I, that's empty though, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a range of, of over 500 miles um, with ease, which I think is pretty impressive as well. Something that so I – yes? Do you think that Subaru buyers are looking for this vehicle? Yeah, absolutely. I think they are. Okay. I think so you that, say that they, you're saying there's, there's people right now who are willing to trade in their Foresters for this. You will not believe the number of people who, have, who stopped me and my video producer while we were shooting our video. And, um, well, mainly they were stopping by to, to get some photos of the scenery. But then they would see this car and they'd, they'd come up and they'd be like, man, I saw this from a while, uh, from a distance, and I, didn't, I couldn't quite place it. But when I got closer, I see this name, this name plate, Ascent. What is this thing? It looks huge, and you basically describe that it's a it's a three row crossover from from Subaru, and they get really excited. They're like, "Oh, I used to have um, a a Outback or a Forester, and we even had people in Outbacks and Imprezas come and, and talk to us about it, and they wanted to get a really close look at this, and they were very impressed with what they they saw. I think so. It's a, it does well in the looky loo market. Then. Yeah, it it I think it's tailor made for for Subaru buyers to graduate out of. Um, something like a Forester or an Outback into something that's bigger. Um, so basically, as their family gets bigger, um, they can get a car that's also bigger. Well, you know, it would be interesting to see how much volume this does for Subaru because Subaru is not really a volume brand, mm -hmm. but this is the kind of car that could change that for them. Yeah, and it and it comes with a ton of uh, equipment. It's it's very well equipped, uh, fully loaded. You can get, like I said, up to eight. Um, USB ports. You also have all of those really fancy driver assistance and safety technologies. Uh, that's provided by the brand's EyeSight safety system. Um, and one of the things that I've always had a problem with EyeSight, especially in something like the Outback, is as EyeSight gets more impressive, the camera array system takes up a little bit more space on the windshield. But now you have a bigger windshield, <laughs> so it's not as much of an issue. Absolutely, not as much of an is issue. Something that is a bit of an issue is um, forward visibility in, <laughs> in, in the Outback. This is another thing that I, I found an issue with. The Outback has a pretty long hood, and seeing over it can sometimes be tough, especially if you're off-roading or going tr uh, on a trail. Which so, almost no one is. That's true. Subaru is finally putting in a front-facing camera just around the, the badge of the Ascent. And you'll be able to see what's going on right in front of the vehicle. So it'll help you place this big car in some parking spots um, a little bit easier. Additionally, this is another feature that we've seen in, in other cars, a, a rear view display in the mirror. Uh, uh, I think it's called Smart Mirror. What is it called? I'm not – oh, 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 sorry. I thought you meant like a backup camera. No, no, no. I mean that always-on capable. So okay, if, if like the 5 like the Cadillac one. The Cadillac or the Bolt has this. Um, and typically those, so the way it works is that there's a camera that's just by the rear window, um, that is feeding a, a display into the rear, uh, view mirror. So you can always see that and it's nice and bright and you don't have and to And it gives you a it. wider field of view. Uh, typically, yes. 
this one does not feel like it has a wider view. In fact, it feels very narrow. Um, and I don't feel comfortable using it all the time. It was a little disorienting. And we've, me and you and me have both talked at length about how weird it is to have a different view on the rear view mirror, the rear view camera, um, and this rear view display. Especially it's, since the refresh rate of the of the mirror, mirror becomes an issue because yeah. you, you know, you're looking forward, you see things coming at you, and then you look and you you flip your eye up to the mirror, and I I get flickering, like I notice flicker because my eyes are adjusting to the refresh from reality to a very particular video feed. Yeah, it does. It's disorienting to say the least, and I don't think it's as strong as what I saw in something like the Cadillac XT5 or Bolt. Um, I know the QX80 was also offered with this feature as well. Basically, the thought is if you have people in the back all the way in the third row, they might be interfering with your view through the rear view mirror of what's behind the vehicle. So flipping on this display will um, allow you to see what's going on behind the car while you're in motion. I, I don't, I'm not sold on it, um, but it's, it's easy to flick it on and off. It's just one more thing to get dirty and not work properly because the camera Actually, blocked. the camera is on the inside of the car um, and is uh, behind a a protect uh, sorry a section on the rear view window sorry so it's getting wiped it's getting wiped is what you're yeah. saying sorry i know okay. that's a very roundabout way to say that but yes it is getting wiped um and it also comes with some other really interesting firsts for subaru did you know that this car comes with the brand's first ventilated seats oh okay <laughs> how interesting <laughs> is that um and i also believe it has um window shades in the rear as well which i think might be a first for the brand as well so it's like vip style mm -hmm. subaru suv now i will say like i mentioned these windows are huge like huge and putting up these these window shades actually took a lot of like focus they're not as easy as you would get with other vehicles well, I'm glad that we're criticizing the window <laughs> the window shades on a large uh, mainstream SUV. Additionally, this car um, they have a new the latest version of Starlink, their infotainment system, and there's some new um, features there. It has in-car Wi-Fi connectivity um, as well as an LTE, like a, a SIM card slot, um, in some markets, so that you can get um, additional what's the word I'm looking for emergency services if you needed that them. Um, now we were in Canada and these cars, I don't think have this feature yet. And we actually saw a, a severe, uh, accident occurring right in front of us. And, um, we had to rush in to get help, um, the old fashioned way. And fortunately we were in a spot that had, um, wireless connectivity. So the, the, the emergency services came quite quickly. So, um, we didn't have to worry about having to use the, the Subaru system, but, uh, it, it just does remind you how important features like this are. So do you have any parting thoughts about the Ascent? It's a solid car, and uh, it definitely vaults up to the to the near the top of the segment, mainly because it's so new, and it feels like it's been it feels like it's been a long time coming. But I think the wait is worth it. Subaru really nailed it with all of the essential elements of um, a three row crossover. You could also well, get that second row either as a bench or as captain's chairs as well, which I think is pretty cool too. Speaking of things that. I've been waiting a long time for. Um, mm -hmm. I got to drive something just yesterday that I never thought in my entire life I would get to drive. And what is that? A, a, a what is it? <laughs> Great lead. I was it. going to think of something that you have been waiting to drive, but I think you've probably driven everything by now. No, it's 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 a vehicle that was never sold in North America. Um, it is a vehicle that was barely sold anywhere else. I think they made around 3,000 of them over a five-year period. And it is French, which makes it that much rarer. Uh, I, I was able to get behind the wheel of a Renault Sport Clio V6. Holy moly, what? Yeah, so for those of you who aren't familiar, in the early 90s, sorry, late 90s, early 2000s, Renault was making this vehicle called the Clio, which was their entry-level hatchback. It was relatively fun to drive. Uh, it wasn't anything really special um, from a performance perspective until 2001 when someone who, as the owner of the Clio told me, must have been drunk at the factory, uh, decided that they were going to take their front-wheel drive compact hatchback and make it a rear-wheel drive mid-engine performance yeah. car. This so is they, the they, weirdest thing to see a hatchback turn into a mid-engine vehicle. I think it's really cool. They took the rear seats out of the car and replaced them with a V6, uh, a 3-liter V6 that puts out about 227, 230 horsepower. They converted it to rear-wheel drive, put a transaxle in, and 
they were like, here you go. It's not Here's far it. removed from the from the lineage of what was known as the Renault 5 Turbo, I think, which is well Yeah, well, a, that was – I mean, it was the same idea yeah. as that car. Executionally, it's very, very different. Because I mean, one had a Turbo – Four, I think. This is the weirdest car you could possibly come up with as a performance car, yeah. but it's so damn cool because it's just like Renault, they didn't care. They were just like, you know what? This is crazy, and we're going to build it, and people are going to buy it, and hope you like it. So, um, Was there any they, chance it, it couldn't be good? Well, it, I, I'm always wary of driving. I, I encountered this car in video games mm-hmm. when I was much younger because that's the only place I'd, I'd ever encountered French cars to begin with. I mean, even here in Quebec, Renault and Peugeot, they do not have a good reputation. They weren't very popular because the cool cars like the Clio V6 never came here. Uh, there were actually two generations of Clio V6. They, uh, they, they got more power in 2003. Mm-hmm. The, the one I drove was an 01, so it's the, the original one. Um, it's... It, I, th- with the engine directly behind your head, you get in, you turn it on. The exhaust system is super short, okay, like a Boxster, so, you know. So it's loud. It's loud. Yeah. The guy who owns it, yeah, Ahmad, was telling me that. Look, he said, um, on a on a long trip, it makes you crazy because it drones. It really drones. But um, I drove it for about 30, 30, 45 minutes, and it was intoxicating. It just sounded so good. And V6s do not often sound good. That's right. Uh, this was this was a joy to the ear. The the other thing too is. You got to think back to 2001. 230 horsepower in a compact car was a lot. A I mean, that's what yeah. that's what the WRX had. It was yeah. exactly the same thing. But this only does 60 in like six seconds, I think. Okay. So it's it's not super quick. By but today's drive- standards, that's that's maybe not very quick. But I think back in the day, that would have been pretty pretty. I mean, that's still almost 17 years ago. Exactly, and and it's fun though. Like the the throttle response is great. Um, it squirts forward. It feels very stable. The only unusual – there's a couple of unusual things about the car. The seating position kind of makes you feel like you're in a van because so you're kind of sitting up. Yeah, it's up. And, yeah, and, and you're also surrounded by glass. Like the greenhouse is huge on the side cool. of big – there's two big rectangular slabs of glass, the one for the door, the one for the, the I guess, engine compartment. And then there's like small A pillars because it's the early 2000s, so you can see everything, which I really appreciated. Um, the other thing that's interesting about the car is the front doors are really big. Like the it has a wide sill, and the door kind of wraps around under the sill, so when you open it, it feels like this is just big, massive portal that you're creating to the inside of the car. Oh. But – Everything else about it is super simple, like simple dashboard, uh, simple instrumentation. The the one Achilles heel that this car has, actually two, I guess. Um, the owner was saying, and I verified this while I was photographing it. It's really the turning radius is enormous. Huh. Like, I'm I'm driving a full size pickup this week, and I would say that the Clio V6 has a larger turning radius than a full size pickup. <laughs> it's it's just one of the things about the car. The other thing is. With the re- with the mid-engine design in a vehicle that was never intended to be rear-wheel drive to begin with, if it steps out on you on a track, you can't recover it. Oh no! It it, it goes and it's gone. So those that those are two things about the Clio V6 that you have to keep in mind when you're driving it. I think the car is awesome. I think it looks great. I really wish they'd sold it here. The, this owner imported his from Japan. Has very had. I believe 38,000 miles on it when I drove it. Cool. It was he drives the car as often as he can. Mm-hmm. He he has actually a collection of Renaults and um they're all driven. They, they they're not trailer queens and I, I felt so privileged to be able to have this is a hero car to me and it lived up to everything I was I was hoping it would be. Very cool. I want to keep going with this discussion of very exciting things and talk about a new vehicle that debuted this week. From Chevrolet. Are you ready for it? I like this? how you have, like, absolutely no interest in discussing the Clio. You're like, I don't know what else. You know I, what? I really wish I could. Go I really back wish to I your could. Gran Turismo and Forza, Ben. Oh, that's exa- and- no, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and fire up um, Forza Forza Motorsport and Forza Horizon see if I can find this thing and get it get it going because I want to hear it like you hear it. Um, it's that's tough. the most romantic I, actually, thing I you've ever to, said to me. I wanted to talk to you about the manual transmission. What was it like? It was good. Is it, it was good. It, is it familiar it, in any way? Not really. I mean, it sits. I, I don't drive a lot of French cars. It sits up in a in a kind of a little uh, again, kind of to reiterate the van like experience. It, there's like a circular, I guess, mount for it that sits kind of in the mm-hmm. middle between the seats, and it just pops up from there in the middle, and it's it, it's just right there. It's not like it's integrated into a console or anything. It's not like the way it is in say, I think a similar size and and time period of a compact hatch would be like the Civic. 
I think in Canada it was called the SIR. Is that what I'm thinking of? The Civic? Yeah, that, that one had it on the dash. And that was it? terrible, yeah. Yeah, that was weird. This is nothing like that. Okay, cool. Um, tell me more then if you want to talk more about this. No, you know what? It's pretty clear that you'd rather talk about Chevrolet, so let's just move on. Well, the Chevrolet, that's because they brought back a nameplate that we've been dying to, to have back. Or at least somebody, have apparently. We? Somebody must have been. Um, and it's the, the Blazer. The Chevrolet Blazer is back. Boom, Blazer. Is back is back in crossover form, Ben. Yeah, it's uh, um. Let's let's talk one word to one word to describe the debut of the new Chevrolet Blazer. I will go first. I will say a disappointment. I will say Mitsubishi because to me it looks like an it looks like an Outlander from the front. I've heard some people telling me it looks like the Lexus RX three fifty. I think. Outlander is another good another good call here. There's not much to be said about this car. It's it's going to be offered with two engines, um, a turbo four and a, a V6, I think. I'm not sure. I got, if thing, I got something to say about this car. What? Uh, I think that the Blazer is the perfect example of peak crossover. I think it's a vehicle that no one was asking for. Mm-hmm. It's a vehicle that fits kind of awkwardly into the lineup. I guess it's between the Equinox and between the Traverse. I like the Traverse a lot. Yeah, the, the Traverse is... Me, me and you have both agreed the Traverse is a fantastic, fantastic car. And the Equinox is fine. Yeah. But um, I don't understand they why the Blazer exists. This, this one white space in their... Yeah, their there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing about the vehicle that screams this had to happen. And there's nothing you know, about it, it that screams to anybody saying you need to get this. There's no like yeah. must-have feature of it unless you you really are driven by this design, which honestly it just looks like a Camaro front-end grafted on a very large vehicle, and I don't think it's attractive at all. To, to me, it really feels endemic of the attitude in the industry right now that's so focused on crossovers and SUVs that we're getting vehicles like this one. I mean, look, you drove you drove the Subaru Ascent, and you, you, you had uh, so many good things to say about it. I mean, Subaru put a lot of thought into a vehicle that's very important to them. And it looks they like they to took time to take a look at all the things that make crossovers important to people. The, the usage of it, it has a, it had a towing yeah. capacity. It has a roof rack that's really practical. It has hidden compartments and cup holders galore. What does the so, Blazer have that... We don't know. We, we haven't driven true. it, so we can't say. We haven't been inside of it. I realize we're, we're, we're criticizing it from a distance. But to me, it's the philosophy of it. It's General Motors is saying, we could do this, so we did. And that's so much the attitude towards crossovers in the industry in general right now. It's not necessarily a should we do this? It's let's do it and see if people buy it. Uh, We can afford to do it because, you know, we have these platforms, we have these engines. It's not going to cost a lot to develop this vehicle. It doesn't have to be that different from things we already have. It just, you know, this is our our semi-large mid-size five-seater. And, and, you know, a lot of other people, too, they're saying, oh, they're kind of ruining the Blazer name by bringing back a vehicle that's not an off-roader, that's not a full-size body-on-frame truck. Don't forget that the Blazer was also based on the S10 for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was not a great vehicle. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was okay, I guess, but it wasn't like the romanticized version of the Blazer that we all remember. It's like people people say the same thing about the Bronco. They never talk about the Bronco too, <laughs> so um, don't don't get too caught up in nostalgia because you can be assured that car companies don't care about nostalgia unless it puts uh, dollars in their pockets. Which is, uh, you know, what we talked about this with the Eclipse Cross. It, they just took a nameplate and made it um, a very modern crossover with no redeeming factors that made it stand out in the first place. Yeah, I, and maybe we'll drive the Blazer and it'll be amazing. But the optics on it right yeah, now, like, uh, the optics on it right now, like just have it being. I, I can't be excited about it because it feels very much like a Me Too design. And I want to go all the way back to the Q8 that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode yeah. because I don't think the Q8 was a Me Too design. Mm-hmm. It could have been if they'd done it like five years ago, and they're like, "We need to be up against the X6, make it happen." Yeah. Then yeah, it would have been Me Too. It would have been a Q7 it, with a with a with a with a quarter of the roof chopped off, right? Like, exactly. But they avoid. They waited a long time. And it has a realized, very unique design language, especially the Audi in the Audi lineup. I would say that. Yes. So it, again, an example of a company that didn't just jump into a particular SUV space. Although you could argue that maybe they've done that in a few other areas, but Audi in this case, I mean, they they were like, look we've waited long enough. We can do this in a unique way. We're going to do it. We're going to build an Audi. We're not just going to build a crossover coupe. We're going to build an Audi. So I think that's an important distinction. I feel like the Blazer, 
they just built a crossover. They didn't necessarily they just build built a, a crossover, blazer. and they and they and instead of scaring people off with a brand new nameplate that no one would recognize, they used one that we could recognize. Yeah, and and Subaru didn't do that because they did that in the past and they scared everyone away, <laughs> and they realized they couldn't do that a second time. They they had to get it right. So, okay, um, I think that's it for this week. Do you have anything else you wanna you wanna cover? I do want to cover uh, how people can get in touch with us, Sammy. Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, so. Uh, Sammy, Sammy is uh, he prefers Twitter because he likes that kind of cold distance between people. Yeah. Um, no faces, no names. So if you want to get a hold of Sammy, you can reach him at at Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing. For me, I I prefer Instagram mm-hmm. on the social media. You can find me at Hunting Benjamin, and or you can you can email me Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. On Instagram, you can also see all of the things that Ben. Well, not all of the things. How every week he tries to st- to put a set of four tires into or on top of whatever car he's testing. Um, Sometimes it's wheels. Actually, you know what? I was supposed to buy a set of rims this morning for the Datsun, and I decided not to, and I was so sad because I almost bought them just so I could take the picture of them in the back of the truck and send it to you. Uh, but I actually did not haul any wheels this week for what feels like the first time in two months. Oh, no. Um, okay, as well, you can find us on our website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you go to the website, you can... Find an easy way to subscribe to our podcast. If you're not subscribed yet, you can find a way, a link to our Google Play, um, our Google Play Music subscription service. We can, you can find it on Spotify, on whatever Apple system uses now. I think either it's iTunes, it's called iTunes, iTunes or Apple Music. I've heard it's Apple always Music been before. called. No one uses Apple. And there's Castbox and Shoutcast. I don't know. Maybe that's another one. No, that's a whole other service. Um, oh my goodness. So you can always find a way to subscribe to us there, or you can reach out to us. Um, on that website as well, or on Facebook, where if you just look for Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you'll see our flashy red um, logo, and you can hit follow there as well. So looking forward to speaking to and uh, everyone next week and uh, answering some of your questions. And we've actually had a lot of people reaching out to us. We've been responding on email as much as we can. But uh, we're also happy to respond on the podcast itself if you have something you'd like us to hear talk about more in depth. That's right. So take care, everybody. We've got actually a really interesting show to talk to you about next week. Um, I'm going to share at least one detail about it. I'm going to be driving a brand new Lamborghini Aventador S Roadster, as well as something I can't talk to you about for maybe a month or so. What, well, what are you driving? Well, you didn't. You're just totally surprising me with this Lamborghini thing. Yeah, because I forgot you didn't. about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to be talking about the Durango SRT, hey, me too. Uh, which is. <laughs> Yeah, which is a super powerful muscular version of a family hauler that uh, probably doesn't need to exist, but is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait to talk to you about it, Ben. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.